This is the Gospel according to St. Luke from the 24th chapter. Jesus said to the eleven and those with him, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them, and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple, blessing God. The Gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. One of the great mysteries that has continue to engage the faith and the imagination of Christians since the first, sun, first century is the whereabouts of Jesus after his resurrection from the dead. Is he still with us here on this earth in any way? Is he above us and beyond us in some expansive space that has no limits? Is he present in body or in spirit or maybe both. It's kind of like the mystery of the Holy Trinity. It's not something that can be explained in a chart or a map or even a very carefully worded creed. But there is still the power of a good story. And that's what St. Luke gives us. A story of truth that speaks to our deepest questions, I think, about where Jesus still can be found even today. To begin with, we hear the promise in that gospel story that Jesus is with us in spirit. Just wait for this gift, Jesus says, and it will come to you. My spirit will be with you. It will be poured out on you. And we learn from the St. Luke's gospel that Jesus is still found in blessing and in continuous blessing. Even as he withdrew from his disciples and was carried up into heaven, Luke says that Jesus was still blessing them. And miraculously, it seemed to erase the fears and the inhibitions that had dogged them every day of their journey with Jesus up until that point. It was really quite remarkable. This was the group of people that were always afraid uh, of him leaving. And now when he's going up above and beyond them, they don't seem to be afraid at all, and they certainly don't feel abandoned. On the contrary, St. Luke says, they go back to Jerusalem with great joy, and they're in the temple continuously praising God. To me, that says that they somehow trusted that Jesus would continue to inhabit their lives, even as he ascended to inhabit the cosmos and to be present in all times and places. It was not one or the other for them. It was both. And somehow they grasped 
The mystery of that, the truth of that, apparently, as they were in the temple every day, praising God. In our reading today, also from the book of Acts, we heard Luke's second story of the ascension. And this time in the book of Acts, he offers some more details, uh, even a few different details. But then he finishes the story with this question that is posed, really not just for those people that were there that day, but I think a very provocative question for every hearer of this story. The two men in white say, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you will come in the same way that you saw him go. I love both of those stories held together because they do draw us into the mystery of a God who's able to be imminent with us and transcendent beyond us uh, at the same time. And looking back, I think that's also the mystery and the reason that I fell in love with this extraordinary work of art by Tom Robinson, which we often call the Ascending Christ. We see it every Sunday at our prayer station, uh, above the candles that you light as you pray. And I'm glad that we have it here, week in and week out, as a constant reminder of where Jesus can be found. We usually refer to it as a statue, but I prefer to call it an icon, because that is very much how it functions for me, just like all of the two-dimensional icons that we have, even at the prayer station and in other places of worship and prayer. In essence, icons are visual stories, and they are meant to be read like a story, meant to be read by all who seek to know God at a deeper level. They're not objects of worship ever, but they point us to the divine mystery of who God is among us still. So what story does this icon tell? When I read it, my eyes are first drawn to the halo above Jesus' head, which is so typical in, in all of the other icons I have seen. And in essence, what that means in all icons is that this is a person who is filled with the light of God. Whenever you see a halo around a person in an icon, it means the light of God is present, shines through this person. And that may be something that you have felt if you have come and knelt and prayed at the prayer station and lit a candle yourself. Maybe you felt that light of God in your darkness. And if so, you know that that is one of the most common ways and important ways that Jesus' presence is still made known to us today. The other thing that I notice right away when I look at this is that Jesus' feet are just above the ground, just a little bit. In the, in the, the way that I meditate on this, it's as if we're seeing just the beginning of his ascent, that Jesus is just in the process of being raised up in the way it's captured here. And it's something that I think is still very important in the way that all of this is held together. I don't think I used to think too much about the significance of the ascension stories, but now I do see them as a very important way of saying that Jesus is no longer bound by 
the same limits of this earth that we are, not bound in the same way by time and space, uh, that he's able to be present in all times, in all places, but that he is still near and that he is still very present among us. In short, that's what I mean by both transcendence and imminence. The transcendence is also bound for me to the promise, to the very hopeful message that the ascending Christ is also able to lift us above the suffering and the burdens and the sorrows of this world and of this life that we live, especially at times when we need that in order to continue our journey. For many of us, that's been an essential part of how God has been present in Christ, and it's why we're here today still worshiping. It may be what you need more than anything as you come here today. When the weight of our burdens that we carry seems too great to bear, it is hopeful and it is life-giving to feel that power of the ascending Christ flow through us, raising us up above that. It's not that the burdens go away or the problems that we came here with simply vanish, but the weight of them is gone when we are raised up above and beyond them with Christ. But thankfully, this isn't all we know about how Jesus is present, because if that were the case, we would just go around with our head in the clouds all the time, never really seeing or appreciating how he is present still also in the darkness and in the depths of our experience. Maybe that's why those two men in white asked, why do you stand looking toward the heavens? This Christ who you see leaving is also coming to you in the same way. It's hard to capture all of that in a story. But this icon created by Tom Robinson, I think comes closer to that than anything else that I have seen. When he came and spoke to our youth about it shortly before he died unexpectedly, he asked them to first say what they saw in this. And it's not surprising, perhaps, that at first glance, none of them saw an ascending Christ. Instead, they all saw a crucified Christ with feet still crossed and hands extended in the way that they would have been on the cross. And when I think of every other visual depiction of the ascension that I've seen, I can't think of another painting or, or sculpture or icon that combines Jesus' ascent into heaven with his descent into the deepest darkness of this world. But Tom gave us those double images here with an, with an invitation, I think, to dwell in that mystery for as long as we live. It's not surprising that he sculpted this icon at a particularly difficult time in his own life. He didn't even have the resources to buy any of the raw materials to do this, which was starting to take shape in his mind. But his father graciously provided all that he needed at that time and then surrounded him with love and encouragement as he began this work. I think it was that incarnate 
expression of God's love and grace for him that must have filled Tom's heart and soul as he crafted what he also calls the resurrected body of Christ, which does seem to be so connected to both heaven and earth. Someone once asked me, are those mountains around Jesus or is that a valley? And the best answer, I suppose, is both. When we are being lifted up above our burdens, then they can be mountains. And when we are longing for some sign that Jesus is with us in our darkness, they can be a valley. Even the valley of the shadow of death, where we fear no evil because we know that the incarnate Christ is present with us there. And finally, there is the blessing of Jesus that cannot be missed in this extraordinary icon. For me, it starts with his penetrating gaze. And I notice right away that he's not looking up, not like the people in the story who are gazing up into heaven, but his gaze is down, and it is down toward us, toward you and me, as it always is in Christ And it is a way that we remember that he continues to see us for who we are and in the circumstances of our life to be present. And then there are his outstretched arms and his hands. Yes, outstretched the way they would have been at the cross, but in the same way that we outstretch arms in blessing to even enfold a loved one. And the hands are particularly remarkable for me in this because... What Tom has done is made hands that look like they would perhaps be contorted by nails going through them. But at the same time, the hands are forming the sign of blessing, which is common in many, many icons. Going back to the first century, if you see icons of Jesus and the hand symbol, the way the fingers and thumb are drawn together here is very close to that symbol of blessing which started in the early church and then was continued on in all of the orthodox icons that followed. And when that happens, when the hand is drawn in that way, it also forms the first letters in the Greek alphabet of Jesus Christ as a way of always remembering that this deepest blessing of God that we know comes to us in Jesus. So whenever you read this icon, or whenever you read or hear the gospel stories that we have heard today from Luke, remember that Jesus' blessing is perpetual, that Jesus is there blessing you always, above you, beneath you, around you, within you. You are continually blessed and continually loved, and there truly is no force in all of creation that can stand between you and that marvelous, mysterious gift of God for your life today and in all the days to come. Amen. If you have prayer cards, just hold them up and the ushers will come and collect them.